Welcome to Energetic Radio. I am your host, Dale Sybottom. Join me each week as I bring you amazing guests and interviews from some of the world's best operators. They will teach us how to bring fun, energy, and joy into each and every day. Let's get stuck in. Welcome to episode number 90 of the podcast, and today I have another treat. I'm catching up with Canadian's number one dancer. I'm not sure she's the number one dancer, but Mel Lindbergh is the creator of Dance Play, which is taking over the world. And what it's doing, it is changing the way people perceive dance, making it fun, and not only that, making our students rounded, happy, self-appreciative, and building their self-esteem through dance, through play, and through having fun. Now, Mel is the creator of Dance Play, which has been going for five years. She's also a physical literacy superstar, education consultant. She's a keynote speaker. She has done a TEDx talk and so much more. Now, if you reckon my energy is up and about in this intro, it is because you're in for a treat. Mel is full of beans, full of energy, like myself, and we have a fantastic chat for you today. Welcome to Mel. How are you today, buddy? I am so great. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. Now you're joining us all the way from Canada. Yes, you're joining me all the way from Australia. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. Now, Mel, um, you are just absolutely dominating. And I know we're just talking a little bit about everything you're doing. And we're going to get into the dance play and the keynotes and uh, the TED Talk and every all those amazing things you're doing. But do you want to just give us a little bit of a background about how you actually have got to where you are at the moment? Absolutely. I um, am a little girl from northern Ontario, Canada. So if you Google map it, the exact place where I was born is called Cataskasing. That's a good geography lesson for you. <laughs> um, it's in the middle of the woods in northern Ontario. And I grew up there playing sports and basically playing outdoors. Um, There was no dance in my community. uh, So I basically played sports my whole life. Um, And I got to play multiple sports because we had such intense winters. We were not a single sport community. I played uh, basketball, volleyball, soccer, and then um, hockey when I was growing up with the boys until um, it got to, uh, the boys were too rough. uh, So approximately like middle school age. So then um, they brought in a sport called ringette. Um, it's like some, some people know it, some people don't. It's like a, you take your hockey stick and you, you, you cut the tip off and you basically have a ring and you skate on the ice. Um, so it was a girl uh, sport that was traditionally, you know, dedicated to girls. And I know that it's expanding now and includes boys. So I played a mul- like a variety of different kinds of sports. Um, and then when I went to university, um, I was always curious about dance. So as soon as I got to a big city, I went to check out a dance class and I uh, had a, didn't have a really positive experience with it. Um, I, you know, I, everyone was going right. I was going left. They were turning, they had all this tech, you know, technique and terminology that I just didn't have. So, um, as soon as I had exposure to dance, I kind of just decided that I wasn't a dancer. So I just pursued fitness and and played sports. Um, I became a varsity athlete. I played lacrosse for the university of Western Ontario. Um, and then I moved on to the university of Toronto, uh, where I kept playing sports, uh, uh, lacrosse too. Uh, in 2008, I, I uh, was hit in the face with a lacrosse ball Ooh. and it fractured my skull. Um, and so it was an immediate halt to all of my competitive contact sport endeavors that I was doing. Um, so it was kind of like this little thing that happened to me 
um, that could have been really devastating actually kind of pushed me towards what is the, is the thing that brings me the most joy um, in my life now, which is teaching dance. And so um, as a PE teacher, I did my training um, at Western and then I did my master's of education at the University of Toronto. And I looked at comprehensive school health models and what um, happens to a school when they focus on health um, as an ac- a strategy for academic uh, achievement instead of adding in more math um, and reading hours. What if the school focused on student um, uh, nutrition and bringing in more physical activity into the classroom and a, a greater quality PE program? Um, and so the results was that it really makes an impact on academic achievement. <laughs> I can, I can uh, imagine. <laughs> and um, yeah, so then I, uh, I taught um, when I left um, like when I left university, I, I taught uh, middle school and high school um, phys ed. And then um, I had an opportunity, an amazing opportunity to work for the Ontario Phys Ed Association. So the Ontario Health and Physical Educators Association, OFIA in Ontario, um, where I was a curriculum consultant for the Francophone teachers. And that's kind of how I got into dance um, through two different pathways. In 2008, I worked for OFIA and I also got hit in the face with the lacrosse ball. But um, <laughs> in my in my dance work, in, sorry, in the workshops I was doing with phys ed teachers, um, I was the French-speaking person, and my job was to do workshops with a variety of um, different topics, or de- deliver a variety of different topics to francophone teachers. And so my English colleagues had, they each had their own t- um, area of expertise. So teaching games for understanding, or assessment and evaluation in physical education, or, you know, dan- you know um, uh, small, small space physical activity. And I had to be basically the expert at all of those things, but in French. And so one of those topics was dance. And so it's kind of how I got put into teaching dance workshops, which is a topic that I had avoided as an educator along the way. Um, but through, through those workshops and through seeing how we were doing things, I just felt like we needed to, to shake things up a bit. So that's kind of how I got up to the point of dance play. <laughs> and and uh, sorry, I shouldn't have laughed when you said you got hit in the face with a ball, but like, um, I, sorry, I, I couldn't help myself. Um, do you think, uh, I know, uh, and, and you shouldn't say this, but that was probably the one of the best things that happened to you in, in, in a sense. Would that be real sort of right, Mel? Totally. It's it's like, <laughs> I like I, I immediately kind of, not like made fun of it, but like just like, it was, I had a serious concussion, but I, I also looked really like grotesquely deformed. And so I just started to, uh, to post these photos of myself, like as what the people said I looked like. So they're like, you look like a fraggle rock. So I do a photocop <laughs> of a fraggle rock. Like you look like the hunchback of Notre Dame. So I'd put a photocop, like this is when Facebook had just started. Okay. Um, and so it was devastating, but like I said, it, it's, it really, it put me on a path that I would have never imagined my, in my entire life. Like literally like my wildest dreams, even just like my wildest nightmares, <laughs> um, you know, being a teacher of dance and like standing in front of students and leading them in dances. Like that is not at all what I thought um, where I would be. And today it's the thing that like brings me the most joy and has opened up the most amazing opportunities for me to travel and see the world and, work with educators um, at a level that I never thought would be possible. So, yeah. And, and, it, and it is amazing. And, and hence why I wanted to get you on here today because what you have created is – it is so impressive. You should be so proud of it. I'm sure you are. So let's talk about dance play. And um, I first got exposed to this a couple of years ago in Dubai when um, I was presenting with Tracy Lockwood and I'd never really heard about it or anything like that. And um, I must admit, I've got two left feet. I'm a shocking dancer. And I sort of crunch up when I'm like, oh, dance. Anyway, I did Tracy's workshop and I loved it. 
Um, and from there, I've just explored a little bit more. So can you explain the concept behind it of mixing dance and play together? Because I, I love both of them. I'm just no good at dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, the concept of dance plays is exactly what you said. So you replay with dance. And, and so in a class where people think that there is a traditional way of like what dance is supposed to look like, which is everyone stands in lines, everyone, there's an instructor at the front, everyone has to follow these movements. or so like right foot, left foot, step, step, fly. Um, and what I would call air quote complex choreography. Um, we take away these traditional concepts or rules of dance and we simplify them down um, so that things are very simple. And our first and our first priority in the program is to allow students to experience success because we know that success breeds motivation and motivation means that we have moving bodies in our classrooms and we've got students who are happy and who are curious and, and willing to try more. And when it comes to dance, that's really the mindset that I want my students to bring to the class. I don't want them to bring technique and perf perfection and, you know, remembering these complex sequences. I just want them to have an open mind and a playful attitude about like, what can I do and what can I learn? So that's, yeah. that's, yeah. I think sorry, I think that is that's so good because at the end of the day, if people are having fun, Mel, particularly kids, they're probably going to pursue that outside of school, and then then if they really love it, then they can go into the complex skills and you know the the routines, the line dances, anything like that. And it's probably similar to sports when we get too focused on teaching certain skills or the right technique instead of just going about having fun. Because when you have fun, success comes, happiness is bred, and you are playful and you're cheerful. Is is that sort of what you saw? Is that why it's just going so well? Yeah, I think it's going well from the teacher's perspective who are exposed to it because they see, first of all, as a program, this is really simple to teach, which as, a, as an educator who when I was, you know, had, I had no training in dance. So when I was a PE teacher, I, I avoided it because I thought dance was supposed to look a certain way. And I didn't think that I could represent that. So I avoided teaching it. So there was level one of anxiety was just, can I even teach dance? And then the second thing is students also have that hesitation. Like you said it at the beginning of this webinar, like I'm not a good dancer. And yeah. that's what most people bring into it. So they kind of self, um, they, they like, they take themselves out of the activity before even being willing to try. So when teachers see that one, it's easy to teach and two students respond to it really positively, then, then it's like the, the momentum is building from both sides of the equation where the educator enjoys the teaching aspect of it. And then the students are enjoying experiencing this playful class context. Yeah, and I, I think that's crucial because as educators, if we're not passionate about what we're doing and we're not actually believing in what we're doing, energy is infectious and that flows on to our lesson, to our kids and everything like that. Now, I can guarantee, uh, Mel, that people are listening here going, ah, dance, and I'm probably a little bit the same. So talk us through a little bit maybe uh, the first, I think, uh, first interactions, you know, the first 10, 15 minutes of a session are crucial. You set it up and that sort of <laughs> flows throughout. How, how do you go about creating that fun, successful, playful environment that is incorporating dance that people may not feel so comfortable with. Absolutely. So the key to us um, and what, we, what I realized is that if we don't address their mindset, their bodies aren't willing to move when it comes to dance because of these perceptions that they have about their skills. So the first about five minutes of the class, five to seven minutes, we go, uh, we teach the students about the rules that they have to follow in a dance class. So, um, they come in, we tell them we're going to play with dance and we're going to teach them dances from around the world because all of our classes aren't style specific. Every class that's a dance play class has hip hop and African and Bollywood and Bhangra or whatever the educator wants to mix in. But we, we really insist on a variety of different dance styles, not one specific dance genre. So we tell them about that. 
And then we tell them the three rules of play and the three rules. And by the way, this is why there's a three in the word dance play. So uh, dance I was, play I was, I was always wondering. So I, I was always wondering what, and I was sitting with my girlfriend last night, I was explaining that um, I was going, and she goes, well, I, I said dance play with a, th- a three, and she thought it had three Ys. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> it has a three in it. So sorry to interrupt. I'm, I was really curious about this as well. Yeah, and I think that we just realized, like, so we've been doing this for five years. We just realized in the last, like, three months when we started asking educators, like, or they were like, where does a three come from? We're like, don't you know? So it comes from, we realized we don't talk about it enough. That's why, that's why I thought I'd point it out. Um, so the, the three in dance play stands for the three rules that we, um, the students have to follow during the class, which is be positive, be fun, and be yourself. So right away when students come in, we say, like, the first rule you have to follow in this class is I just want you to be positive. So if at any point in this class you find yourself saying things like, oh, I can't do this, this is too hard, or I'm not a good dancer, I just want you to switch it to say, you know what, level one, I'm just asking you to, to say in your head, I'll give this a try. Or level two, while you're doing the dance moves, you could be saying to yourself, I can do this. Or even better, talking to yourself and saying, you know what, I am awesome. Because all of us on this planet, really as people, can use a little bit of a practice being a positive person and talking to ourselves with positive self-talk. Because for some reason, we have this autopilot negative self-talk, especially when it comes to learning something new or trying something that we might not have ever done before. If we're not instantly good at it, we go into this autopilot of like, I can't do this, this is too hard. So in the class, I just ask the students to say, you know what, I just want you to face the challenge and say, I'll try, I can do it. Or as you're doing it, you're busting a move and you're saying, I am awesome. I think, yeah, I think it, like that is amazing because um, a lot of time, you know, if, if somebody isn't so good at something, Mel, or it's not, it doesn't come sort of first nature to them, that they will be negative. They'll put themselves down and we are our harshest critics. So do you find one of the, I know obviously Eddie's all about dance and play, but one of the biggest outcomes you get is more about self-appreciation and um, the, the positive praise of yourself? Yeah, I think... Um... The, well, the one thing that we teach students is about their bubble of awesome. So it comes after the three rules. But so the, the concept that like, oh, my gosh, I am awesome. And through dance and movement, they get to like experience like how awesome they really are when they get to show their own style. Uh, because dance is one of these activities that incorporates movement with self-expression. You know, in sports, you're dribbling the basketball. Yeah, you can do, go down the court in creative ways. But really, you're not like putting yourself out there and showing the world who you are, what your thoughts are you know, who you are as a person. Um, but with dance and movement, you, you get the opportunity to do that, but it's also could be really terrifying. So when we set this structure where um, it's safe for students to express themselves creatively and, and to show off their own style, they get to, to, to ha- like experience an aspect of themselves that they don't usually get to experience with movement. Um, and usually in, in education, you know, like as a system, we schools aren't the best at, uh, at yeah. promoting creativity. So so I think that that's, that's the most, the biggest statement that we hear students come out of classes is like, I am awesome. You are awesome. And that sense of like, yes, this is, you know, this is great. I feel great. I feel alive. I'm happy. And that's, and that's so important. And I can guarantee that's why this is going so well, because that'll then flow on to your, you know, your literacy lessons, your numeracy lessons that uh, the education system puts so much emphasis on, which is important, but you're not going to get the results unless kids are feeling creative, feeling awesome in that bubble, like you mentioned. Now, now one of the big things I've seen that 
You've just had this program in Canada. You've been training up amazing educators and you've been delivering it all over Canada. But now, like, you have created an online course. So people in China, Japan, New Zealand, Australia, we can all become dance play educators, can't we? Yeah, exactly. So it's something that took us five years to get to because we have a really fun training. The culture of our program is fun. It's positive. And we were doing these weekend training courses that we we were we didn't know if we could translate that energy to an online platform. And so earlier this year, we, you know, we worked really hard and tried to laser focus in on the things that were most critical. And we launched our online cohorts and we've had awesome success. Um, we've had educators from all across the globe uh, join us um, and people are getting certified. They're, they're completing the training. They're sending in videos of themselves teaching dance play with their students. And they're showing us that they can teach the program at the, the standard that we we've come to be known for in terms of developing physical literacy and, and positive education methodologies and, and coaching. Um, and so we're seeing that they can do that through their experience with us, even though they've never physically done a class with us. And so that's really exciting for us. And that, and in five years, I know you said you've been mean to get around to it, but from somebody teaching sport in French, all different facets and not dancing a lot, to have an online course that you are now training educators all around the world in this amazing concept, that's pretty cool, Mel. Thank you. I'm very, very proud of what we've created, but I couldn't do any of this without our amazing team of trainers. And like the fact that you interacted with Tracy Lockwood in Dubai just like goes to show the kind of people that we're attracting to this program and who believe in what we're doing, um, they become the voices and the ambassadors for dance play. We've got Matt Leung in Calgary and Brooke Yancey in Vancouver and Susan Shear in Calgary. We've got these amazing educators who just really are passionate about movement and positivity and physical literacy. And, you know, out of all of them, only one of, of, of all the people I've, uh, I've talked about was actually a dancer. Everyone else had kind of had a background like I did, like sports and play and working with kids, but no dance training. Um, and that's what the program's not about dance. It's, it's about, you know, practicing positivity and playfulness through the platform of music and movement. And so we just happen to call it dance. I think <laughs> but it's, that's awesome. Yeah. That, that's so cool. And I think what you've just said there, well, people are like, well, maybe this is something I could do. So if I was wanting to today sign up and do one of these online courses and become certified so then I can run dance play in Australia, in Victoria, where I currently live, how do I go about doing that, Mel? Um, well, I can share a link that you can share with people or just go to danceplay.com. So D-A-N-C-E-P-L, the number three, the letter Y, <laughs> dot com. Um, and there's a link there that will take you to, if you just, um, if you just look for the get certified buttons. Um, and then we have an online training course that's specific for school teachers. Um, and we also have a recreation one. So if you're, you know, an educator that teaches weekly classes outside of your school community, outside of your school um, classroom. So like something that you would do in a rec center, that, that training is a little bit more um, designed to get you to launch your own classes and promote them and, you know, get paid to teach dance play classes. But the school teacher one is designed for educators who want to use dance play in the classroom, who want to talk about curriculum links, who, um, you know, want to learn about how to become a physical literacy leader in their school community, how to use dance play for assemblies, um, and basically just like being that physical literacy advocate um, in their school and their, you know, community as an educator. 
I, I love that, and I will have I'll put that in the show notes, guys. So if you're listening along, head along to energetic.education and go to this episode, and you'll see that link down the bottom if you want to go and check that out. Now, um, one of the things I love that you just mentioned there, Mel, is um, I'm a big believer on having a side hustle or a little bit of a passion outside of work, and it also, you know, it's something good that can generate a little bit of income. So, have you found a lot of educators have been using this maybe in the school or they've heard about? Then now they're like, wow, I could actually turn this into a little bit of a side hustle, a little bit of an income on the side? Absolutely. And I love them for it. And I always say, you know, I put it into context. Um, the, the educators who do that, I'm like, don't aim to like quit your, your teaching job and just do this full time um, by running a couple of classes a week. But those couple of classes a week um, can easily pay off like your, because we're in Canada, your like Christmas Mexico vacation, um, you know, your, your all-inclusive weekend. And it's a great way to make a couple of extra thousand dollars by do, just sharing what you would share with your students in the classroom, but just taking it outside um, and running a couple of classes in your community center or YMCA um, and just like, you know, throughout the year, collecting those funds, putting them towards your vacation fund or anything else that you're passionate about. And, and just, you know, I, I think that there, we need to not be afraid to get paid doing what we love. Um, it's not really hard to t- tell that to educators. No, <laughs> but no. Like, hey, it for the money, but, um, but there, there's no, you know, when you've got this awesome skill, you can share it in other ways with your community. Yeah, and it's not about the money. It's about sharing it with somebody else. And, and if you do a good job, then the money obviously comes. And your Mexico is our Bali in Australia. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's funny how we all just gravitate to those places. Now, well, you are a keynote speaker. You are a consultant. You're creating courses. You're traveling the globe. You've done a 10X. Where do you find your energy, drive, and passion? Oh, my family and the beautiful city where I live. Uh, so... I have an amazing wife. Her name is Justine, and she is equally as much of an energizer as I am, um, and she's absolutely fantastic. And we have an 18-month or 19-month-old now daughter. Um, her name is Joey, and um, so the, the three of us love to travel. We love discovering you know, the amazing places on this planet. We've already been to Costa Rica, um, all across North America together, and um, we, we, you know, we jet-set out of Vancouver, BC, when um, the rain comes. Uh, to go find other places, but in the summer we kind of bunker down at home and just explore like the oceans and the mountains. We love hiking. We love, you know, playing in, at the beaches, and and those are the things that you know balance me out from all. Uh, the, I travel to escape the traveling, basically. No, I, I understand. <laughs> I, I, know, I know exactly what you're saying, and I think I think that you need to have that balance. So, how like this is a bit of a personal question, but how often a year do you book in a holiday? Because I'm a big believer in two a year, trying to get away in winter, and I normally do one over Christmas or something like that as a as a driving force, as a reward to sort of push myself throughout the year. Do you have a similar outlook on holidays? Yeah, definitely. We we consider our summers in Vancouver like as a staycation, which is a, a conscious decision. <laughs> yep. um, because because um, our family lives across the country in Canada, we were, were pulled to Ontario very often, but we chose the summer to stay in Vancouver, which was great for the spirit. But we try to do two trips in the winter in our in our rainy season to get away. So three, I guess, would be um, key. And what I've learned is after the big trips it's really important to have that dedicated family time. So if I'm away, you know, I was just in Europe um, at the ECISPE conference um, in Dusseldorf last year. That was an amazing event, if you guys want to check it out. Um, uh, Then we came back and we actually took dedicated five weeks of time to go to Costa Rica just because I had done like 13 events 
um, in like eight weeks or something like that. And so, you know, balancing the, the speaking gigs with family time and, and nature is critical to the health and well-being of like my mindset and my body and just like our family and, you know, relationship health too. Yeah, and I, I agree, and I think that's the beauty of being a teacher. You know, we get the set holidays, which is a really nice perk of the job. So it's really important that we do take time to uh, recharge the batteries. Now, now I love our energy here, and I guarantee our listeners will as well. So um, one thing I like to ask a lot of the educators is, do you have a one go-to icebreaker or connection builder or energizer activity that you use that wins over any crowd? I, well, it's, I have to say that it's dance. Um, so my like go-to song, um, is the te- the song that I did at TEDx. Um, it's a song by Flo Rider. It's good feeling and it gets the crowds going. Um, and you know, everyone's standing up and, and striking poses like rock stars. It gets people to interact and, and to, you know, to get playful so that if I get to dance, that's what I would do. Otherwise I would lead, um, an, uh, a crowd. It's like, it's an orchestra. So I, I learned it from Jim Deline and I kind of modified it a bit where I divided crowd up into four groups. And then I pull a leader from each one of those groups and those leaders choose an activity that they're the section that I pulled them from has to repeat. And then whenever I point to that person on stage, their entire group has to follow them as the leader. So I'm conducting the four people at the front and they're conducting the audience for me with whatever movement that they chose. Um, and so that's, that's a fun crowd energizer. That sounds, uh, I've, I've never heard somebody use dance and I suppose it goes second nature with, uh, everything you're doing, but that, that is really cool. And I think, uh, just music in general, I know when teachers use that in their, uh, PE lessons and in the classroom and things like that, it has a calming effect on students. Do you find that is probably one of the best things about dance is that you get to use music? Absolutely. I like one of the first things I did when I started doing dance was exploring how music affects the brain. And I love a book called uh, This Is Your Brain on Music. And it, it's um, one, one of the things that I love the most out of that book. It says that m- listening to music is the only thing that engages every single um, uh, part of your brain. And uh, the if um, scientists or you know researchers just listen to the brain waves. Um, that are being emitted by your, by the, like the tissue of your brain and don't hear the music, your brain actually replicates the music and the hertzes and the, the sounds in the, in the waves that are emitted from your brain. So it kind of like replicates it and your brain is actually playing the music and it can, can, that can be captured by an instrument, um, without the music actually be the source music actually being heard. So I think that's like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> that's, that is really cool. And I, I love that. Now, another thing I get asked a lot is um, what music can we play? Because obviously <laughs> different songs have got so many different meanings and like the kids will know what they mean. I used to have no idea. And they go, you can't play that song, Mr. Sidebot. I'm like, oh, really? So is yeah. it, um, I, I get asked this a bit and there's a couple of playlists on Spotify you can use. They're not very good though. Do you guys provide music with your training or is there ways people can get around that so they're not going to have the chance of a swear word? or um, different meanings in the song that aren't appropriate? Well, everything in the school teacher dance play membership area, so once you do the training, you can become a member. Everything in that area, if you, the song is listed, it means that it's, it's been vetted for lyrics and connotations and making sure that there's no swear words. Um, and that's, that's one thing that we do. We don't actually provide the music. People have to go buy that version on iTunes or Spotify or whatever. But uh, that is something that we do. We do make sure that everything that we tell teachers to use with students has been checked 
Um, and we also like take requests. So like I just put a Facebook post out two days ago and you know, I think I have over 50 comments on it of requests of songs. And now I have to go through all of them, Google them, check the lyrics, <laughs> ask kids, you know, what, what does cake by the ocean mean? And they'll say, oh, it's not actually cake. Okay. <laughs> not, not on the list. And so, yeah, we try our best, but, uh, I think that that's what we have to do as educator. And every, every teacher has their own level of discretion and every, you know, every, community that you're in will have their own sensitivity towards certain terms or certain words or like if it's on the radio it's okay versus like absolutely no you know not at all so I think it's every teacher just has to figure out what will work best for them and their community and their parents and administrators yeah but it, it also it is very helpful when you've gone through with the you know the scrutiny that you're doing because you're providing such a good quality so guys that membership you'll be able to get that as well on the show notes um now I mean, i've just got a couple of questions i like to ask um i guess here um uh, is there a question that you wish people asked you more uh, <laughs> I just did a podcast with Nathan Horn. I think you know him. Yes, I do. Um, nice and he you. asked me a question like something like, what is something that you that no one knows about you? And I revealed this like secret that I played dodgeball like up until my injury. Um, I chose to play dodgeball as a PE teacher, as a recreational activity. Like that's how I stayed active outside of my work, yeah, which yeah. is quite controversial. <laughs> so it's my like my little secret. Um yeah, I just like having conversations with educators. And so I thought, I, th- I wish that we had more like talks about like as, as, t- as, I don't know, as adults, like how do we stay active and like how does that align with or not align with, in my case, what we're doing in PE and uh, kind of like what does that have to do with our physical literacy journey and talks about personality types and it lets me, you know, talk about experiences in physical education and get to know people because you know when you start talking about dodgeball you get to know a lot about different people and and just everything so I think that yeah you do (laughs) and I think uh for some reason people have got a huge opinion on dodgeball and it's always right and I'm a big believer in that um you're you're able to teach whatever you like and if you think it works for you um and the way you run it with your students then go for it so um I'm not one of those people that hate dodgeball or that you can't play it it's not it doesn't have a place um and I know I don't want to open a can of worse because I know so (laughs) I know so many people like oh I'm not listening to Dale's podcast anymore or Mel I'm not gonna listen she was a professional dodgeballer or things like that so um guys we're not getting that debate right now but that is an interesting fact so you did play competitive dodgeball yeah like competitive dodgeball we would enter tournaments we would travel to other cities um there was like strategy I loved it I was as a physical education teacher I loved how adult an adult league would have practices and we would have strategies and overlaps and plays and you would call it a color and it just fascinated me how the you know a game that was seemingly very simple in elementary school and like not productive on you know the the recess floor the recess yard um became this thing that was quite full of strategy and just seeing personalities come out and just for for me because it worked for me as an adult I was choosing to be there it was great energy release because I it felt good for me to throw a ball with something really hard (laughs) and and, hit hit someone (laughs) Yeah, someone, something, whatever. Yeah, I love that. Man. I love that. Now, just a couple more questions. I've got. I always ask all my guests this one, and I actually got this off Andy Vaseline, and I've uh, taken and I've used it as my own. But um, if you could look back, Mel, when you were eighteen years old, and give yourself one bit of advice that you've learned along the journey from everything you've done, now, what would that one bit of guidance or advice be to yourself? Um. I was 18 years old. I was still living in a very small town um, and feeling like the world was so much 
figure and I had so much to explore, but I felt like I was stuck there. Um, and so it kind of like the feeling of like, Oh, there's something more, but I'm stuck right now and it's never going to change. So kind of like, um, it's actually some of the best advice I've gotten in life. Um, is, uh, nothing is, nothing is, nothing is permanent. Um, nothing is permanent, like kind of like the idea of this too shall pass, but not in a bad way, just that, that like whatever choices you're making now be in it. And then it's not permanent. Like what you're doing now, doesn't mean you're going to do it forever. Just make small changes and, and adjustments along the way to, and just follow your happiness because that's really all you can do. Um, and just because you're making, you know, you, you, you're like, I'll do this. I'll take this leap of faith. I'm like, Oh no, what if but that doesn't work? Just take it. And then it's not permanent. So you can just change it. And that kind of alleviates for me was the, the pressure of like, yeah, like, uh, um, what am I trying to say? Like being fearful of not making the right next move. Yeah, I think, and, and the big thing there, the, the key word I just love in that is happiness, you know. Um, as long as you're happy wherever you are, things will work out. And I think that's great advice because often you can get sort of caught up in, and I grew up in a, in a country town as well, and I was scared of the big bad world, but it's such an amazing place when you explore it. Now, Mel, final question before I let you go. I know your time is precious, and I've loved this chat today. What impact do you want to have on the world? So when you're done and dusted, I'm not saying that's going to be soon. You've got a lot of years left in you. But what impact if people will say, Mel, she was, bang, she did this. What do you reckon people will be saying about you? Or what do you want them to say about you when your time's up? Uh, the impact that I want to make is knowing that through the work that I do in building other leaders, that they're going to have an impact on the lives of kids. So I need to know that I will have impacted millions of kids um, and created a platform where even for one moment, um, even if it's just like at the end of every class, we put our hands out and we get all the kids to take a huge inhale in um, and in their heads say the three most important words they'll say to themselves, which is, I am awesome. And then we get them to say that a second time out loud and scream it like so loud that every single cell in their body will have no choice but to, um, will resonate with that idea and that they'll have no choice but to exist from that place for the rest of the day and sharing the best version of themselves with their family, with their, you know, with their friends, with their community. Um, and just knowing that that's, that's what we get to do. We get to go out there, get kids moving, get them into their, get them out of their heads and into their bodies and experiencing what it feels like to be alive and feel great. And then claiming that they are awesome. Um, because not every kid gets that opportunity. Um, not every child is told that they are great. They don't, they're not always flooded with positivity. So knowing that we have a network of instructors and teachers who are creating those moments where kids get to move and hear those messages and say it about themselves is, is what I want. Uh, the impact that I want to leave on this planet. And I, I love that, Mel, and you are awesome, and uh, <laughs> I really appreciate your time today. And not only that, really exciting times ahead. For people listening, uh, go and check out the show notes. Um, there will be a link to, obviously, the website, so you can check out everything about Mel. You can see a, a TEDx talk. You can see all the amazing stuff she's doing. But the most important thing is that you can now become a dance play educator, and you can be making a difference with that awesomeness, fun, and just really bringing the positive to the world. So, Mel, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, I'm sure everyone will love our chat today. Thanks so much, Jill. Thanks for having me.